Hey, I don't know if you know uh, history about Walt Disney, but Walt Disney is an interesting character. Walt um, was a 47-year-old man, already a successful film producer, director, animator, and entrepreneur, when he began to work on his concepts and ideas of a magic kingdom. His dream, his vision was to have a magical park where families could go and have good, clean fun. But World War II stopped the production, stopped the building of the park, but not the dreams in Walt's mind. And so all of that six-year delay accomplished was to expand the dream that he had had for an eight-acre park, think about this, to a 165-acre park. That's how his dream expanded over that six-year period, which, by the way, is now a 541-acre park that is estimated making about, hang on, $6.2 million per day. Amazing. Amazing. After Walt passed away, news reporters were interviewing Mrs. Disney, the, the opening in 1971, October area, uh, uh, um, October in the calendar, around 1971, was the opening of Disney World in Florida, and a reporter was interviewing Mrs. Disney at this, and he, he leaned in over to her and he said, wouldn't it be great, Walt had already passed away, wouldn't it be great if Walt were here to see this today? And she smiled and she said to this reporter, if Walt had not seen this first, you would not be seeing it today. Hmm. See, Walt Disney had this in his mind of, of what he wanted to build. He, he could walk its streets in his mind. He could hear the sounds of children having fun in his mind. He could smell the popcorn long before the popcorn vendors were, were there. When workers wondered, can it really be done? Mr. Disney reassured them, yes, it can be done. If people doubted, Walt was always reassuring them. He knew what he wanted, and he knew it could happen. He was convinced of what could be. He saw it before anyone else did. And even more than Walt Disney, Jesus had something in mind. And that's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks in our series. The, the resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. I want you to get that down on your outline. The resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. Jesus had something bigger in mind than just the resurrection. The resurrection was not the end goal. It was not the end game. It was not the finish line for Jesus. It was just the beginning. And this is what we have seen as we've stepped now into the first chapter of the book of Acts, written by the writer Luke. Take a look at it, verse 3. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had them stay in the city, and he had them wait for a particular day, the day of Pentecost, which we talked about last week. If, if you missed last week, go on our podcast, you can catch up. with. But the, the, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish festival, a celebration that celebrated when God had given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai to Moses 
50 days after the Exodus and Passover, 50 days after they had left Egypt, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And this was the beginning of the nation of Israel. And I'm convinced that Jesus was using this time frame to point to something. He was pointing to another gathering of followers who were going to serve God's purpose in the world. Jesus told them to wait for something, to anticipate something. You know why? Because he had a vision of what was going to come. He was seeing it before anybody else was seeing it. That's why he tells them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we see here is Holy Spirit power is given because Jesus wants me involved in what he's doing. He wants us involved in what he's doing. And verse 9 says, after saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And so they didn't know what would happen. They didn't know when it would happen. All they knew is what Jesus had just told them. And so what did they do? They did what Jesus said. Take a look at verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. They were doing exactly what he told them to do. It's interesting that when people refer to the first church, the church that started in the book of Acts, many times they focus on the results instead of focusing on the process, on what took it, what took, what it took rather to get them to that result. And so today I wanted us to kind of, kind of pause for just a moment in this story and back up a little bit and see what it took, what the process involved in seeing the results that Jesus wanted to bring about. And what I want us to see is what the group did. And I think we can learn some things. There's three specific things that they did. So you want to get these down in your outline. These are really cool. They are really crucial for your um, growth. I think they'll speak to you today. God moved among them because they did three specific things. The first thing they did was they were doing what Jesus said. I've already mentioned this. But you need to get this down. If you want God to move in your life, if you want God's plan to take place in your life, if you want to get involved in what Jesus is doing, then you need to do what Jesus tells you to do. For three and a half years, Jesus had prepared them for this moment. I mean, he, he taught them, he showed them, he corrected them, he challenged them for three and a half years. And then in his last moments, Jesus gives them a command. Do you know what the command is? Wait. Now, how many of you, let's just be honest, how many of you like to wait? Look around. There is no hand up in the room, right? It's because none of us like to wait. Oh, I just enjoy it. I just love to watch water boil. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Or don't you just love to wait for your thing to get done in the microwave? I, I hate that with a passion. I, I got to get away from those things just to you know, get my mind busy because I don't like to wait, and I think you're probably the same way. But in this, in this last moment, Jesus is giving them this command. He says, wait. Of all the things he could have told them, he tells them to wait. <laughs> all too often we pray for something, and the answer comes back. Wait. Don't you love that? When you pray that Jesus would do something for you, that he would move at your job or in a relationship or, or your finance, and, and what comes back is wait. But I really need you to do it now. Wait. But I'm ready to go. 
wait. Hmm. We work hard towards something and God says, wait. We want to get moving. We want to, we want to do something. We want to do anything. We, we want to do anything instead of just sitting here and waiting, right? But sometimes Jesus says to us, I want you to wait. Isn't it funny how we respond to how Jesus speaks to us? This, I, I find this ironic. I mean, think about it. When Jesus tells us what to do, we hesitate because we're not sure. When Jesus tells us to wait, we whine and complain because we want to do it now. Right? See, I've learned that Jesus works in my life according to his timing and not mine. I think that's on your outline, but you may want to circle that because that's key for a lot of us in this room. We want Jesus to work according to our timing. We expect him to move according to our timing, but it's according to his. See, the group didn't know how long they would have to wait. I don't know if you noticed that. He, he, he said, don't leave Jerusalem, just, just wait. He gave no time frame. Just wait. Hmm. They knew they were supposed to wait. They could have gone anywhere else, but they didn't. See, when, when Jesus moved, they were right where they were supposed to be. That's the key. They, they could have moved, went anywhere else, but they were right where they were supposed to be when time came. Hmm. In fact, I want you to get this down. If we do what Jesus says, we will experience what Jesus does. In fact, say that with me. If we do what Jesus says, we will experience what Jesus does. Can I just say this to you? If you don't do what Jesus says, you will not experience what Jesus does. You'll miss out. Sadly, disobedience is a characteristic of Jesus' followers today. Sadly, not doing what Jesus says to do is a part of church world today. And the crazy thing is we know what the Bible says. We know what Jesus teaches, but we don't do it. Something we need to understand is that my love, your love for Jesus is shown by how I do what he says. See, we, we disconnect here. We, we really don't understand how much our disobedience to what he says, how our disobedience really shows our commitment in a love relationship to him. If we are not doing what he says, do we really love him? Jesus says it this way in John 14, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will do what I say. That's how you show. That's his love language, just doing what he says. See, Jesus can do, a, do some amazing things, some incredible things in the life of a person who does what he says, but Jesus doesn't work in the life of a disobedient follower. If any one of those people had not stayed in Jerusalem, they would have missed on what Jesus was doing. Luke continues writing. He says, when they arrived, where were they going? They went back to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, Luke tells us 
you know, who was there. He, he mentions the 11 um, apostles, Mary, these other women. We can't say for sure who these other women were. We know that women were a large part of Jesus' following all throughout his ministry on earth. Luke tells us that the brothers of Jesus were present. I mean, I don't want you to miss that. That's, you know, we read right past that and we think, oh, that's not a big deal. No, it's a really big deal. Because at one point in Jesus' ministry, they thought Jesus was crazy and his family was coming to get him and take him away. Because they thought he had lost his mind, claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And now, they're believing, they're following Jesus. They're, they're, they're a part of the followers of Jesus. And, and this, this pushes us to, to ask that question that I've asked before. What would it take for you to believe that your, your brother was God? I don't know if you have a brother, but what would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? That's what they came to. They came to believe that their brother was the Son of God. Wow. So what was this group doing? They all met together. Say that word with me. Together. You need to get that on your outline. They were together. Now most of us read right past this phrase without realizing the focus. That Luke, the writer Luke, formerly a physician, a doctor, he was very specific in his writing. He was very specific in the words chosen. And, and he included this phrase, very, very, it's a very important phrase. We simply think that it means that they just came together for a church service and then they went their own way and they lived their own lives until next week and then they come together on Sunday, they see each other, hi, good to see you, sing a few songs, listen to a message, go home. We, we think that's the way it was. But, but the word that Luke uses here implies this deeper level of connection. This was not a Sunday morning only thing. It carries the idea of being one mind. One mind. I've, I've heard it said before in the King James Version of the Bible. It says that they were all in one accord. And I think of a Honda, you know, when you read that. But there, there's, more, there's more to it than that. I mean, that actually says it all because if, you know, that many people were in one car, you would definitely be connected. <laughs> one mind. They, they, they were so connected. It wasn't simply a matter of having their bodies in the same room. It was an intimate connection of these followers of Jesus. I think this is what Jesus had in mind for his followers. He says this in John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There's a love that, that speaks to the world, to those outside the faith. And it, and it points to Jesus. It's a love that only comes because of what Jesus does in our life. See, we were made for community like this. You and I. We, we, we hunger for real, authentic relationship on deep levels. And yet, in many churches, the, the one thing missing is togetherness. This, this sort of togetherness doesn't happen on Sunday mornings when we, you know, we get done with a service and we hurry out for lunch or we hurry out because we got something to do. It doesn't happen in those areas, in that arena of our life. It, it happens, this kind of connection only happens when people spend time together. You, you have to make time for it. You have to make it a priority in your life. I mean... I'm not looking for an answer on this. I just want you to think about it. When was the last time you spent time with someone from Pathway Church other than in this room? 
I mean, I, as I read the book of Acts, there's a question, I've got to be honest with you, that kind of haunts me. The question is, why are we not seeing the same power of the Holy Spirit operating in our church today? I mean, could it, could it have to do with this first thing of not being together enough? Are we of one mind? Hmm. One of the reasons, I think, are, is, is our lack of togetherness. In fact, I want you to get this down. The church isn't intended to be a place where people are alone. You, you may or may not even understand this, but we push you here at Pathway Church to be together. And, and I know that sounds harsh, but it's truth. We push you. You probably haven't even noticed, but we, you know, we um, arrange seating so that you are pushed more together. We, we don't open our doors early. Um, I mean, mainly because we don't want you to come into this room and sit alone. We want you to interact with people out on the patio. We do this intentionally because there's something about the togetherness in a church that you can't get anywhere else. I'll be honest with you. Come on, let's be honest together. Where do you get togetherness anyway? Do you feel that kind of connection with the people you work with? Are you that connected with your neighbors? Let's go a little bit deeper. Are you even connected that much with your family? I mean, I, I know people who haven't talked to family members in years. So, so where do we get the togetherness that we really, we, we really crave and we really want and we really need? I think that's where the church comes in. And I think that's why Jesus designed it this way, because church is not intended to be a place where people are alone. That's why we call it worship together here at Pathway Church. Did you know you could worship without us? I mean, I love our music team, but you can go online. You can get some great stuff out there. You could, you could worship in your car all alone. Some of you would be great in worship. I mean, you probably are great vocalists in the shower. You can worship in the shower, right? When no one's hearing you, you can worship all alone. And that's fine, and that's great, and I hope that you do do that in addition to worshiping together. Because, you know, you can get on podcasts way better speakers and preachers than me. I know because I listen to them all week long. So you could get worship, you could get a message. Why even come to church? Ooh, that's a big question for a pastor to ask, right? Bye, Shane, see ya. <laughs> Shane was getting ready to leave. He's like, yeah, why am I even here? Why, I mean, come on, why on a Sunday morning, why get up, get dressed, take your day and come, to, why even come? I hope we believe here at Pathway Church that togetherness is something that we get here that we can't get anywhere else. A feeling of belonging. A feeling of there's somebody here that cares that I'm here. Or there's somebody here that cares when I'm not here. And, and that kind of relationship, we need to go deeper than that, but that is a good starting point. That kind of relationship we all need. So, I, you know, I go to my question, why come to church if you're going to sit alone? 
Why come to church if you're going to be alone? I think we need to work on togetherness here. I think these things are for us. It's not just information that Luke wrote about the first century church. It's for Pathway Church today. Togetherness. By connecting with each other, sharing life together um, in small groups at each other's homes, uh, going to lunch together. You say, well, it's just going to lunch. No, you have no idea how important those kinds of things are because it may be the only connection that you or someone else has that week. Togetherness is a huge challenge for us here. It's not because we're so different, and we are. I mean, look at your neighbor. Just tell him, you are way different than I am. You are different than me. We are, we're different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different habits and lifestyles and all this. We are way different th- from each other, but guess what? The thing that we share the most is that we're all busy. Just because we're different, different does not affect our togetherness as much as our busyness affects our togetherness. And so you and I have to work on that. We really have no idea what we're missing out on when we're not having togetherness in our life. I want you to get this. As a church, we cannot be empowered until we are together. That's a starting point. You will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe you will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit as full as he wants to give it to you until you are together with other followers of Jesus. It's one of the reasons why the early church was so effective. I mean, when, when you read this narrative in Acts, I don't know about you, but I am moved by it. I'm like, wow, I want to go to a church like that. It's because they were together. That There was something powerful that happens when Jesus' followers share life together. It, it begins to just overflow from them. And it affects the community around them. Lastly, they all met together and were constantly united in, what's that word? Prayer. So, they were praying. Luke tells us they were praying. The New Testament church was launched. Don't miss this. The New Testament church was not launched from preaching. A lot of the times we skip ahead to Acts chapter 2 where Peter gave this awesome sermon and it was awesome. And we think, oh, that's what started the church. Nope. The the New Testament church was not launched from preaching. It was launched from prayer. Prayer is always the first step in God's plan for his people. Old English preacher and writer Matthew Henry, he writes this. Whenever God intends blessing for his people, he first sets them to praying. It's true. I mean, can, can you imagine... Can you just imagine being in the room hearing the prayers of the first century believers? They they were full of hope. They they knew that Jesus said that he was going to do something and they were looking forward to that. It was something new. They didn't know what he was going to do, but they knew that he was going to do. They sensed that they were on the threshold of something big. Is, Is this the way... You approach God in prayer. Realizing who he is, realizing what he can do, realizing what he has promised that he can do. Is this the way you approach God? There's a word in verse 14 that that always grabs me when I read it. It says, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. I want you to circle that on your outline. Constantly united. 
Say it with me. Constantly. What does it mean? Constantly is from this Greek word, which is a a really interesting word. It means to continue to do something with intense effort. Proskuterio is the Greek word. It, It means to be so persistent at something over a long period of time. Have you ever been that way with something? Have you ever been so tenacious and and so determined about something that you're going to make it happen, you're going to cause it to happen, you're going to stick with it, no matter what, I'm not giving up. I'm so determined with intense effort and persistence that something's going to happen, even if I have to stay committed to it over a long period of time. That was the way they were praying. This wasn't just a one-time prayer. Help us, God. Thank you for this food. Right? Thank you for this day today. You know, right? I mean, serious. It wasn't a one-time prayer. It wasn't a, a little short prayer. This was a persistent, determined, intensive prayer over a long period of time. As many of you know, I grew up in the church, and, and I remember there was a phrase when I was a kid. There was a phrase that, that circulated in church world. It was the phrase that, to pray through, that you got to pray through. And, and honestly, not until I became an adult really did I understand what they were really talking about. What it meant is that you would spend long amounts of time in prayer over something. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's something that God's calling us to. I think this is what Luke is describing in the first century church. I I want pathway to be full of Jesus followers who live that kind of prayer life, who who eat prayer and believe in prayer and sleep prayer and wake up praying that, that prayer would be something that would be so, we would be so committed to. Peter Marshall was a guy who served as the chaplain of the United States Senate. Um, for 47 years, he served in this role. And one day, he prayed on the, on the floor of this branch of the United States government. What a powerful prayer he prayed. I wish we had more guys like Peter Marshall in this Senate today. Listen, listen to what he, he prayed. Lord, forgive us for thinking that prayer is a waste of time and help us to see that without prayer, our work is a waste of time. See, I... I feel this about our church. If you're part of Pathway Church on a regular basis, you know that God has been, for the last, I don't know, five years now, has been doing this change in us. And this this idea of prayer, of of long-term, intense, persistent, committed prayer, I, I think we're wasting our time if we don't become people of prayer here at Pathway. We, we talk and we plan and we have events where we want to reach our community and we want to reach out to them. But friends, I'm telling you, I think we're wasting our time if we're not involving prayer in this process, if we're not enveloping everything that we do in prayer. There's a huge need for us to come together in prayer. I love how Jesus' words are paraphrased. Look at this. Jesus says in Matthew 6, In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. 
See, I'm convinced of something. We are missing out on what Jesus wants to do in us, for us, and through us because we are not praying. And that may be not just in our church life. That may be in your life. Come on, Brooke. That may be in your life personally. You are missing out on what God wants to do in your life, through your life, for you. You're missing out on it because you're not praying. What I want to do today is I ask Brooke to come at the end, and I just want us to, to worship through one song, and then I want to call us to some response, and, um, and we'll be done today. Would you stand with us?